Hi, everybody. And here's a follow-up to the panel that Natasha and I had at the conference. Natasha, good to see you. You too. Hi, Jonathan. Hope you've had a really good summer. It was an unusually warm summer in the UK. It uh, was. I wish I could say the same thing about the immigration system, that it's warming, but unfortunately, uh, progress has been a little bit slow. But we did want to provide you guys with a little bit of an update since when we sat down and we had our pop-up lunch. I felt like that half an hour went super fast and we had some things left over. So we're going to cover some of that today. Um, specifically on the U.S. side, one of the good trends that we've seen is the processing times for visas have decreased. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about appointments, when you can get them, how hard it is logistically for immigration. The Department of State has been hiring at a rapid pace. And uh, when I say rapid, I mean they are actually hiring instead of uh, having a moratorium on new hires. But that's decreased the processing time, specifically somewhere in London to get your visa appointments. So some of that pragmatism and really advanced looking out that you had to do for visas has dissipated significantly. So that's been quite welcomed. Um, we also are seeing Belfast as a consulate providing a nice secondary option to people in the UK. If London is extremely backed up, Belfast is opening and operating and processing visas. So that's been encouraging. Unfortunately, on the legal side, we haven't seen much of anything. Um, it was fascinating there, but there was something that was passed called the CHIPS Act. You may have heard of it in the UK, but essentially the US is government funding the relocation of semiconductor manufacturing operations to the United States from Asia. And they're pumping billions of dollars into that. Uh, and they passed this massive bill. They didn't do anything to address immigration. So even though we have a dearth of tech workers and we desperately need more H-1B visas, pass this multi-billion dollar deal, not even a whisper about training of U.S. people in STEM field or visas. So um, I get the, the uh, want for political efficiency and getting something passed, but I think that there was a major error there and uh, we might see some more constricting of immigration or lack of availability because of the amount of investment that the U.S. is making in chip manufacturing. Um, on the plus side, we've seen uh, the introduction of authorization of the E3 visa, which is a bilateral free trade agreement for Australians, and extending that to Irish. This is the fourth time that the Irish have been up for E3 inclusion. Last time, it was a few years ago, they lost by one vote. And everybody's pretty bullish that they might be able to sneak this in before the congressional session ends. So we have to keep a close eye on whether or not that comes to fruition. But uh, they got a couple of months to get it done. So we'll see. I had the pleasure of being at the British American Business Council's National Conference in Cleveland, Ohio, two weeks ago. Um, and there was a lot of talk about the bilateral free trade agreement between the US and the UK, which would create a visa classification. Interestingly, and I found this kind of fascinating, talks have not really resumed with the Biden administration. And although there was actually some significant progress between the Trump administration and Boris, uh, <laughs> we haven't seen much headway since then. But I think that that's something that we could keep an eye on for the future. It'd be a tremendous advantage. And then the other thing is if we're like gazing in our crystal ball, the Fed, when the Federal Reserve Bank, when they raised interest rates yesterday, third time in a row, three quarters in a row, they've raised it three quarter bench points. First time that's ever happened in history. 
and they're predicting more rate increases and the potential for the U.S. economy to lose 1.3 million jobs next year. That's what they're targeting. So they're trying to push in a, the slowing down, essentially, of inflation. Um, what's fascinating about that is when you have a loss of jobs or businesses that lose the access to easy money, there tends to be a consolidation. And that could trigger a merger and acquisition um, run for U.S.-based businesses. Whenever there is a, 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 a that kind of activity, what ultimately ends up happening is, is there are immigration consequences. And you know, certainly for those of you that are on intercompany transfer visas, if the whole company is not sold and maybe just the U.S. part of it, that can actually like sever visa classifications. So if you're operating in that M&A world, um, when you're doing your due diligence, make sure that you think about or include visa classifications as part of your discussion. Uh, but that's really it from my side. How are things looking on the UK? Well, similarly, actually, we have um, some good news as well here in the UK. So it's uh, the welcome news regarding processing times reducing. Um, for us, um, we discussed at the conference, if you remember, about how in the UK, the priority services for overseas visa applications has been suspended because of the um, the conflict in the Ukraine, meaning that the Home Office's caseworking resources were, were earmarked for that. Fortunately, um, we now have um, the priority services back in full force, so that's fantastic for employers, and it means that no longer are they having to wait eight weeks for um, visa applications to be process for workers now they can bring them over very quickly we can have um, applications processed within a week um, and for some applications even, even um, quicker so that's that's great really positive news for, for us um, new immigration categories i touched on at the conference about the exciting new high potential individual visa which we thought would be taken up by a lot of um, individuals who were wanting to come to the UK to seek work, not necessarily because they've actually found a role, but employment, self-employment, it, it provides such flexibility and also um, helped out with that um, tricky issue of remote working. Um, so that was in, in the summer when we had this new uh, visa come through, but actually I have not seen a big take up. So I haven't seen a lot of people applying for this um, high potential visa and certainly employers do not appear to be uh, using it to its full potential. Do you, do you think it's like a, a lack of familiarity or a lack of need? Well, I, th I think it's a, a whole host of things really. I think when it comes to sort of um, familiarity, we, certainly we, you know, we, we um, update all our clients with regard to any exciting new immigration categories which they may wish to use. Um, but I think really um, it's down to a few things, mainly the fact that um, for those to qualify, if you want to qualify under this visa, you need to have graduated within the, within the last five years. A lot of your senior execs, you know, they graduated um, you know, in, in excess of five years ago, so they would not qualify. So that may be one. Another is also a, a key um, uh, 
issue with the fact that the visa does not count towards indefinitely to remain. So any time spent in the UK on this visa, you can't use to clock up the five years that you require to become a permanent resident. So they still want that reassurance of the skilled worker visa, which provides a route to settlement. Um, and it's, um, you know, they've got to think about the children as well. Um, lots of um, yeah, lots of inquiries still about how, um, whether or not the children can qualify for um, overseas university fees as opposed to, you know, the resident fees, which are far, far less. Um, and, you know, to, to be, to qualify for those lower um, fees, university fees, you need to be a resident. So a lot of uh, families that come here, senior execs, they want to get, their children to become permanent residents as soon as possible so they can qualify. So I think, yeah, that, that, that need to um, secure residency is, is a primary aim for a lot of senior execs. So maybe that's why. Um, and also, I think I, I wonder whether employers still think that um, you know, if they sponsor an individual, that they somehow can tie that employee to their to their employment, which really that's not true. You know, you can you can come to the UK sponsored by one employer. Um, and as soon as you arrive, if you want to, you can switch and you can then be sponsored by another um, employer. So that's not really true. Um, and I think we are we are seeing quite um, a, a lot of movement, aren't we, with the recruitment, people changing jobs um, a lot. So, yeah. Um, so that was that update. Um, and just touching on your point, um, John, I think it's a really good point about mergers and acquisitions. Um, we have seen um, a, a lot of um, companies who uh, always leave immigration to the last. You know, they look at everything else, the corporate side, the tax, everything, and then right at the end of their due diligence, they then look at immigration, um, which causes a whole host of problems because, as you said, Jonathan, in, similarly in the, in the UK, if an employer sponsors migrants in the UK and they're their direct owner changes, then they need to apply for a new sponsor license within 20 days of oh, that wow. change. And then they have to also identify if any migrants are affected by this. In a lot of cases, those individuals will have um, cheapied over, that's uh, an employment, UK employment term, so if they, they're cheapied over to, um, to, to the new business, then it's not so much of an issue. Um, we don't have to apply for new visas for them, but we still need to make reports to the Home Office about the new employer. Um, so there, immigration due diligence is really important and certainly needs to be pulled to the forefront when you are dealing with mergers and acquisitions. Um, and I don't know about you, Jonathan, but we find that when we are instructed to assist with matters like this, Sometimes it opens a can of worms and actually when you do that due diligence, you realise that things haven't been done as they should um, mm -hmm. and, and then you're having to rectify so many different things. So, yeah, it's it really important to take it seriously. <clears throat> well, it's true. And I mean, a lot of mergers and acquisition deals have like warranties and guarantees regarding the workforce. But, you know, if you lose 20 percent of your staff because they become visa ineligible, is it? It, does that really even make the deal worthwhile in some respects? It can be very, yeah. very challenging. Or maybe the purchase price should have been affected or should have been lower because of the lack of talent that you'd be able to retain. And I've had situations where I've actually helped companies negotiate buyout 
costs and prices based on what's going to happen to the workforce. So I think it, it is something that really, sh from both sides of, of the, the ocean, we should be paying a little bit more attention to. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, I think that that's a pretty good update. It's nice to hang with you again. I yeah, you too. Forget, I always forget how fun it is to talk with you. So I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can reconvene next summer in London together again. Absolutely. We look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.